Our scripture this week comes from the Gospel of Mark, the very first chapter and the very first verse. It says, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So when I was talking to Don Allen about the themes of Advent, I was talking about the first week we always start with hope and we read from the prophets. And the second week is always peace and we read about John the Baptist. And he had the same reaction I think Chad did last year when he preached on John the Baptist, which is, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> when I think of John the Baptist, I think of Lent and wilderness and wild-haired guy. I don't think of peace necessarily. He didn't live a particularly peaceful life, and yet we read him every year, this second week, when we're trying to understand or wrap our minds around the peace that's going to come to us with Jesus. So I think the place we look in our passage today is that middle section that Mark quotes and says is from Isaiah. Though I'm here to call out the author of Mark, not because I know, but my commentary told me, that is not just Isaiah. Part of that quote is from Isaiah, but part of that quote is also from Malachi, who was the last prophet in the Old Testament. When we look at the orders of them, that was the, the latest one. And the bigger question is, so why does it matter, Amanda? Why does it matter what, which prophet it comes from? Because I think that at this point in history, John is supposed to be seen as a link between Israel's past, which would have been the prophets, and Israel's future. This new thing that God was about to do, this one that's about to come. And so Malachi is the last prophet, so that's the last word that they had heard from the prophets. And John is about to bring this new word of this new one who is coming. I think it's also the reason we hear about John's descriptions. When I thought about it, we don't hear about clothes all that often in the Bible, about what somebody's wearing, but we hear what John is wearing about the camel hair and the leather belt. We hear about what he's eating with the locusts and the honey. And I think for the people reading it, it should have helped them imagine the prophet Elijah. This is what a prophet looks like. This is what someone from Israel's past would have been like. And I read this book by, not the whole book, but just the commentary in this section by Bonnie Thurston, who's a biblical scholar, but she's also a Merton scholar and a friend of Mark, which I didn't realize until after I'd been reading it for a while. And she will come up multiple times in this sermon. But she said, the way to think about it is that John is clearly the forerunner of what is to come with Jesus. John preaches, is delivered up, and is martyred. Jesus preaches, is delivered up, and is martyred. John is Jesus' forerunner in life and in death. It makes sense that later in Jesus' ministry, they confuse Jesus and John, and then they wonder if Jesus is Elijah coming back because John has set this up. John is the connector between the past and the future. 
This is also why John's ministry is placed in the wilderness. The person who wrote Mark clearly expects us to have read the scriptures, to be very familiar with the stories, because first off, the beginning verse starts with the beginning of the ministry, which is supposed to make us think of the beginning of Genesis, but also that the beginning of Israel's history, the most important part of it, starts in the wilderness. The wilderness is where God prepares the people for the new thing God is going to do. It's where the most important stories of Israel's history happen. It's they go into the desert after they've been freed from slavery in Egypt and God has parted the seas for them. It's where they receive manna and pheasants from God. It's where God leads them by a pillar of smoke and fire. It's where they get the Ten Commandments. It's where they become God's people. It's where they learn what it means to be God's people. It's the beginning of their story. That's why John is in the wilderness. So I started to think about the moment that we find ourselves in here in the second week of Advent in 2020. I thought about there's the church, the big C church, all of us together, and then this church in particular, that we are also caught in a moment between the past and not quite yet to the future, as Chad said. He would like that future to be here a little bit faster. If it could move a little faster, he'd appreciate that. But we're also so close to the past of who we were before all this started, we can still remember it, who we were, what we were like before the pandemic. We still know what it felt like to be in the sanctuary together, to sing together, to eat meals in the fellowship hall together. We can still taste the donuts from the coffee uh, Sundays or from when we would get up early to deliver Christmas baskets. My daughter just last week was describing to a friend what the room looked like where she would shop at the kids Christmas party. She can still point out the ornaments and the crafts that she made at those before. We can still remember it just like those in Israel and even those who were in the wilderness after leaving Egypt. They can still remember what it was like before. Because we have, are now and have been in the wilderness for a while. And we're tired. Just like the Israelites. They were tired. They were ready to be settled. They were ready for the next thing. And I realized, uh, I had a colleague say this to me and I resonated with it. There were many Sundays where I have felt like a voice crying in the wilderness. <laughs> Especially those early Sundays when it was just me and Brandon. You start to think, is anyone listening? Is anybody there? Does it matter? Can they hear my devotions that I'm offering from my bedroom when all my familiar tools and experiences have been yanked away? The remembering of the past. And yet, at the same time, in this unique moment, we have been thrust as a church into the 21st century. Of course, we're 20 years late, which is about right for the church uh, to be We've been thrust into it through online worship, through online devotions, through the ways that we do our meetings, the ways that we're doing our ministries. We've been shoved out of the building. God and the pandemic pushed us out of the building to see what the church could do and be in the midst of it. And in that, we've learned both the strengths and the weaknesses of these new offerings, this new online communication. We learned the good news of that there are people we can reach who live in different states, even
we know the pluses and minuses of technology now. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have timed that one better, Brandon, <laughs> to do that. So we've learned people we can reach out to. Again, people who might have only come to church once or twice because they couldn't come in person, but they can check on it YouTube at, on Tuesday, you know, maybe checking in more often who might never have. So there are ways I know that our college group has been meeting more often because they're able to meet over Zoom in some ways they hadn't before. So we've seen some of the advantages. On the other side, is there anyone who's watching or present who does not have a deeper richer appreciation for in-person worship? Is there anybody here who doesn't have an appreciation for singing familiar songs together in ways that if you had asked us a year ago, we just wouldn't have had, right? So we've also learned this deep, meaningful appreciation for what it means to be in community, to be a church together, to do ministry together. We've been thrust out of our building, but we've also been forced to ask ourselves hard questions, like, how connected am I to church? How am I connected if I can't go to the building? What are ways I can be connected? Do I want to be? How do I strengthen those connections? In some ways, it's like we've been forced to the edge of the Jordan. And John is asking us the question, are we going in? Are we all in? Do we want to be baptized and truly changed by this experience? Rather than assume that everything will go back or that we even can go back to who we were before? Because John does say there's something we have to do before we get baptized, before we are given this Forgiveness of sin, there's something first, and it's he preaches repentance. Now, I don't know about you, but for some reason, and I don't know why this is, but I just, I have a real visceral reaction to the word repentance, and it's not like a good reaction. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, hey, repentance. And yet, when I remember to research and look up what the word means, it just means have a complete change of mind. Have a new direction of your will, just turn around. In the definition, there is nothing in there about feeling bad or feeling shame, even though I think so often that's what we attach to it. Now, preachers, including John for years, have put some shame into it and some guilt. But the repentance is just about a change. And that change with the expectation that when the change happens, there will be forgiveness. Forgiveness for the previous behavior, for a way of thinking, for a set of values that we held. That repentance is so much more about seeing the world and ourselves with new eyes. If last week when we talked about hope and the garden and the plowshares was all the external work of the church, what we do in the community, what we do outside, this week's work is all internal. The repentance is all about looking inside. Because I don't know what you need to repent. And even if you have suggestions for me, <laughs> it's still all up to me to make that change, to make that turn. So when I've thought about it this year, the most public place or way that I've experienced repentance this year 
has been working with the elders. Um, as we worked through the book, White Fragility, I worked through my own, learning about my own white fragility, my own limited talking in meaningful ways about racism and trying to strengthen that, about white supremacy, my role in it, and the ways I've perpetuated it. And that experience gave me new eyes to see, a whole new direction about how my will will go into the world. And I don't believe there was an elder in the group who didn't also have that experience, though from very different places, because their experience was different than mine. And I'm not done repenting. That was just a barely getting started in that. We read John every year because maybe some of the things we repented of last year have creeped back into our lives. I don't know about you, but that can happen to me. Can I get some nod? Just a few people here. Can I get some nodding? Yeah. <laughs> That's happened, right? Some actual behaviors we didn't want to do that we've started to do again. Habits that we know don't serve us, but we pick them back up again, beliefs about ourselves or about the world that we started to work through and then we let it go. We read John every year because at least once a year, at a minimum, we should stand at the edge of the Jordan and ask ourselves, what am I still holding on to that is stealing my peace? And I'm doing it to myself. What am I holding on to that's just going to drag me to the bottom rather than offer me freedom to turn another way? And as we talked about before, this year in particular, I think we have been repenting. I think we've repented of how much we took for granted. You know, the one I hear the most when I make pastoral calls and I talk to church members is how much we took each other for granted. That, of course, I'll see you next week or the week after that. Of course, there'll be youth group or choir. I miss hearing babies interrupt my sermons. I miss getting hugs from certain people every single Sunday. I had somebody tell me that on the phone this week. They said, you know, every week Larry S. just gives me good. Well, I mean, not you. I mean, Chad, you're not as, hu you're not as big of a hugger. But Don Allen and I, for probably 15 years, we're very busy in the mornings, and we're busy chatting, and then we stop ourselves, and we go, good morning. <laughs> and we wish each other good morning, and we hug each other. And I haven't gotten to do that, and I miss it. I repent that I didn't appreciate it the way I should have. How much is lost when we don't get to have that short conversation over coffee, or I, I don't get to hear the youth's comments happening behind me, in worship, whether they're good or bad, <laughs> whether they like what I did or not, or waving to the family that walks in late to worship. But I'm so glad to see. We can repent of all the things that bothered us and we complained about in January and February that we can't even remember now. I think about repenting about all the things that we thought were so important at church that made us angry we got grudges about or we thought were personal that maybe weren't so personal after all. And all we really just miss is church and the people that we love so much. And we offer grace knowing that everybody everywhere is just trying their best in the midst of the wilderness.
To prepare the way for Jesus, John says, Israel, you've got to remember your history. People who looked like me, prophets who came decade after decade after decade, reminding you that your history is full of the stories of God's faithfulness again and again and again. And God's ability to always do a new thing. And that when we repent, when we turn around, when we let go, we can reclaim the original inheritance of what it means to be God's people. And all that ever is, is remembering how to care for one another. We can never lose that. We always have that with us. We always have that capability. Just like back then, people still need our care more than ever. They need our care and our grace and our generosity. And no, nothing, no one has taken that away from us. And they can't. Bonnie Thurston calls John the musician who warms up the audience before the main performer appears. John's here to tell us there is more than just repenting, but that repentance, that changing, that turning around makes room. It clears out the junk. It makes room for Jesus to enter into our lives and enter into our church in ways we could never have pictured or imagined last year. The repentance is just a reminder to be humble, that just like John, we are unworthy to untie the strings of Jesus' sandals, and yet he is still coming to us. If we let him, he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit to purify us, to rid us of those burdens that are weighing us down, that we're carrying around with ourselves. We listen to John to be reminded of the one that is coming is so much more powerful than us. And that is very good news, that the very Prince of Peace himself is coming to us. John reminds us, and points us towards where we will find that true peace, and that will always be in Jesus. What I find amazing is with John's preaching, nobody was turned off. They didn't think he was harsh. They didn't find him lacking peace. They were flooding to him from all over Judea, from all of Jerusalem. They found it refreshing. When they went to him, he filled a hunger that wasn't being filled by the old way of doing things in the temple or their ordinary lives. They clamored to him to be baptized. They weren't ashamed to repent. They saw it as a path to freedom that they desperately wanted from their sins and from behaviors and thoughts that were weighing them down and stealing their peace. They came rushing to him because they wanted to prepare the way for this new thing that God was about to do. They wanted to hear John preach that God was faithful before and will be faithful again. They wanted to hear that God had done the impossible before and would do the impossible again. They wanted him to hear to say, get prepared. Make room in your hearts. Clear out the junk that's making it hard for Jesus to get through. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, and you will make his path straight. <laughs> 